Take your Bible, please, and uh, turn with me. Scroll with me. Navigate your way with me to Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts uh, chapter 2. One of the many benefits of our study through the book of Acts is learning about church and church life. At some point in your experience, you've probably faced that somewhat daunting task of looking for a church to settle into and call home. And the question you're dealing with during that time of searching is what to look for, right? What are the things to prioritize when looking for a church home? What qualities are to be desired? What what qualities should we seek in a church? And equally important, how can we be involved? How can we get involved? The book of Acts helps answer these questions. In this book, we have the quintessential example of the church and what church life entails. Now, though at times it may seem like we're far removed from the early church, remember, the the Holy Spirit who started the church continues to lead the church today. Think about it this way. Astronomers tell us that when we see a star, we're actually seeing light that was generated a long time ago. Hundreds or even hundreds of thousands light years away. The light we see in the present is actually from the past, yet still shines into our lives today. The church is like that. As we look inside our Bibles to observe the church of 2,000 years ago, we know that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves, a long lineage of faith. And therefore, as we consider the church, as it's seen here in Acts 2, be assured that, that, that what we see radiating from their experience is as applicable to us as it was to them. Verses 1 through 41 of Acts 2 describe the coming of the Holy Spirit, the preaching of Christ, and the birth of the church. Verses 42 and following describe the life of the church and those who were part of it. And here at East Parkway, as Sarah mentioned earlier, uh, we strive to be a community for the cause of Christ. And what we have here in, in this passage are characteristics of a community like that. This is a classic, well-known passage on church life, and the simple takeaway is this. Spiritual birth into the family of God reorients your entire life around Christ's cause. Spiritual birth into the family of God reorients your entire life around Christ's cause. So let's read this together. Acts chapter 2, the last paragraph of the chapter, beginning at verse 42. And they, that is the church, the members of the church, the people of the church, and they 
devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostle. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the church. I want to thank you for, for the gift of the church. I want to thank you for this church, East Parkway Church. I want to thank you that we are numbered among the church, the, the, uh, the global church that spans uh, the, uh, from one generation to another. Thank you for um, church history and the, really, the privilege we have and be able to look back and see how, the, uh, how you have been involved with the church and through the church and in the church all the years. Thank you for the example we have in the very first church as recorded here in the book of Acts. My goodness, how many, if we were to just pause and consider how many churches through history have looked at this very same passage before us this morning to be blessed and encouraged in life and ministry together. And so as we consider the life of the early church this morning and all that that entailed, the impact it had on them, would you use their example to impact us as well? Even now, even this morning, even in these moments we share together, we ask this for the good of your church. Thank you for doing good to your church. You are a good God. And may you receive all the glory and praise and honor through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What an exciting, amazing, monumental time this was in the life of the church and in the history of the world. To recap, verses 1 through 41 describe what God did among the people. You recall from chapter 1 how Jesus promised the disciples that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and empower them to be His witnesses in their community and in the world at large. They were not to do anything in their own strength, but to wait prayerfully and purposefully for the arrival of the Spirit of God. We're told how the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Jewish Passover, that is 50 days after Christ's death and resurrection. The Spirit came from heaven like a mighty rushing wind and falling upon the early believers, they began to speak in the various languages represented in the crowd. Fifteen different people groups were uh, from across the known world uh, had gathered in Jerusalem at that time, and yet each people group. They each heard these simple Galileans 
talking about the mighty works of God in their own native tongue. Some wanted to know more. What does this mean, they ask? And so the Apostle Peter stood before the crowd to provide an explanation for what was taking place. Verses 14 through 40 show that Peter's sermon essentially was a presentation of the gospel. Preaching the basic gospel, Peter called for faith in Jesus, assuring that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's verse 21. Jesus lived among us and revealed God to us through many signs of, and wonders. Verse 22. Jesus died for our sins in our place by the hands of sinful men and by the grace and mercy of God, verse 23. Jesus rose from the dead by the power of God, verse 24. Jesus lives today, exalted at the right hand of God, verse 33. Jesus, Peter says, Jesus reigns both as Lord and Savior, verse 36. So cut to the heart and convicted of their sin, verse 37, the people cry, what shall we do? At which time Peter calls for repentance and faith, urging them to turn from their sinful ways and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ as a demonstration of their desire to follow him all of their days. Some answered that call. They believed what was said, and they placed their trust in Jesus. Clearly, God was at work. The Spirit had come, and thousands were saved through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That day, over 3,000 people placed their trust in Jesus. Each of them responded to God in this way and were spiritually reborn into God's family. The church itself was born, and verses 42 through 47, as we just read, list five characteristics that marked the Christian community at that time, or what we might call five marks of a healthy church, or five things to look for in a church. I want to look at them with you one by one. First, the church, notice, was devoted to godly practice. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. There was devotion to apostolic teaching. The apostles had walked with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They talked uh, with Jesus, they saw him, they learned from him, and they taught what they learned about Jesus, meaning the people here were devoted not only to the apostles' teaching, but ultimately to Christ himself. They had been converted to Christ, they had placed their trust in Christ, and they wanted to know more about Christ, they wanted to know Jesus better, and therefore they took the steps necessary. They were devoted also to the fellowship. Now notice, it's not just fellowship in general or the act of fellowshipping, but devoted to the fellowship, 
to the church itself. They'd become part of something much bigger than themselves, something distinct from the world around them, something important to their growth in the Lord and their ministry in the community. They were now part of a new community, and they valued that community in great measure. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, which likely refers to the Lord's Supper, as we will share this morning, as well as simply sharing meals in each other's homes. As you know, there's just something about sharing a meal with others, particularly in the home, that fosters relationship and forges friendship. And then they were also devoted to the prayers. And notice again, not just prayers in general, but the prayers. They were devoted to those times when the church gathered specifically to pray. So here the church was devoted to godliness through Christ-centered teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Number two. The church was filled with awe. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The people were amazed at what God was doing in their midst. Certainly they lived during an incredible time in history, those early days of the church, were undeniably special. The presence of the Spirit of God and the powerful miracles He accomplished through the apostles made for truly a truly remarkable experience. Beloved ones, I want to encourage you this morning by reminding you that while we may not experience exactly the same signs as wonders and wonders as them, God is doing remarkable things among us and in each of our lives as well. I think last week is a perfect example. One of the most memorable Easter Sundays we've experienced. Nearly, as I've talked with those who were involved and tried to compile a list for the purpose of follow-up, nearly 25 people came forward in response to what God was doing among us. Some came to demonstrate how they were placing their hope in Jesus. By coming forward, they were saying, I am putting my hope in Jesus Christ. Some came to express their need for Jesus. By coming forward, they were simply saying, I recognize that, uh, that, that something needs to change, that, I am, that things are not well for me, that I'm not walking with the Lord and I need Jesus. Others came simply to pray and praise God for what was happening in that moment. If you were there, many of you were, you know how special that was. There were young people and older people. There were longtime members of the church who came forward, as well as first-time visitors there for the very first time. The Holy Spirit was 
powerfully present among us as we celebrated the implications of Christ's life, death, and resurrection together, church. That was a sign to us. Physical demonstration of a deeper reality, and we were left awestruck in wonder. As a pastor, every time I hear of a relationship that heals or a need that's met or a gospel triumph in a person's life, I'm reminded that God is working wonders in our midst. Sometimes pausing to see what's already there is all it takes to fill our hearts with awe. The church was filled with awe. Thirdly, the church was unified. All who believed were together and had all things in common. You may want to Underline, circle, highlight the word together. This was a unified bunch. They were from different cultures, remember. Remember back at the very beginning of this chapter, they were from all over the world. Most of them had never met each other before that great day of Pentecost. But now they were one. One author, when describing the oneness of the church here, said uh, the Spirit of God was bringing people completely unlike them into His kingdom, and rather than feeling threatened by this phenomenon, it delighted them. Scripture says there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Rather than dividing over their differences, this church celebrated their oneness in Christ and thus had all things in common. Surely, uh, they had their issues and conflicts. Surely. And we'll see some of that as we progress through the book of Acts. They had their issues They had their conflicts, but they valued togetherness and were largely marked by unity. Number four, the church was caring for one another. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You realize that when individual members of the church begin seeing themselves as part of a greater whole, they're inclined to move in love uh, toward one another and meet each other's needs. Clearly, the members of this church cared for one another. As needs arose, they lovingly met them. With remarkable generosity and sacrifice, they sold their possessions and gave the proceeds to any who had need. Uh, This reveals, among many other things, this reveals, church, that congregational care does not fall on church leadership only. Though the board is entrusted with oversight responsibility and though the staff 
works hard and sincerely wants to minister effectively to as many as possible, congregational care rests not on the shoulders of a select few, but on the entire assembly. It takes the entire church to minister to the church. And then as a church in the community. God entrusts to each member of the congregation certain resources, talents, and gifts that are to be used for the benefit of others. East Parkway, I want to commend you for how well you do congregational care. I mean this. You are a caring church. We hear this. I hear this all the time. You look out for each other's needs. There are countless examples over the years of how you've learned of a need and took the necessary steps to help meet that need. Often, without notifying staff or the elder board at all. I think that's a sign of a healthy church. However, though it probably shouldn't, it still uh, bewilders me when I hear people evaluating the church, any church, not, I'm not just speaking about our church, any church, when, they, when I hear them evaluating the church only by what they get out of it. And I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know I'm soapboxing here. And I know I know I'm swimming upstream given today's church culture. But if you're looking only to take from the church whatever works for you without ever investing in it personally, then you've missed the whole point. And you're missing a great blessing. The church is not Costco. God never intended the church to be a marketplace where consumers shop for their out-of-control wants. Instead, He wants that we see ourselves as vital members of one local body, each doing his or her part to care for others in love, and in that there is tremendous blessing experienced by all. And then fifth and finally, the church was committed to community and to their community. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. One of the challenges facing pastors and churches today is getting people to value community. I don't know if it's our American independent spirit, which is so ingrained in us, or if just another consequence of the sin nature within, probably both. 
But whatever it is, it keeps us from true community. And by community, I'm talking about relationships that center around shared attitudes, shared interests, and ultimately shared goals. Some Christians, you know them, I'm sure, some Christians think they have community, but they don't. You cannot achieve community from a podcast or a sermon online. You don't get community by watching the latest highlight video of the celebrity pastor making the rounds on social media. True community isn't about who you follow on Instagram or who follows you. After all, when was the last time you experienced the Holy Spirit on Snapchat or Facebook? I had to speak to both generations there. (laughs) But here in church, when we gather as a church, we not only experience the presence of the Spirit together, we also become agents of the Spirit as He ministers to others in our midst through our participation in the community. Notice how frequent the church met together day by day. Whether it was attending the temple or breaking bread in each other's homes, both formally and informally, they made time for one another. They were thankful for each other. They were glad. They were generous. In the original language, the word translated generous actually means simplicity of heart. In other words, they gave of themselves so freely because they were content to enjoy a simple life. And they praised God together. They were marked by thankful, joyful, daily, corporate worship. And so here we have the church that is characterized by devotion to godly practice, by awe at what God was doing, by unity and togetherness, by care for one another, and by commitment to community. Five traits that mark a healthy church. Now, did you notice that that each characteristic, almost every verse, begins with the word and? And they were devoted. And they were awestruck. And they were together. And they sold their belongings. And they met daily. And, 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 and. In other words, by placing one component upon another, it's as if Luke is building a prototype for the church. And in addition to these five things already listed, I think there's a sixth mentioned here as well. Yet another trait that identifies a healthy Christian community. Do you see it? Do you see it there in the final sentence of chapter 2? It's that the church was growing numerically. And what this tells us 
is that the Christian community was having a transformative effect on their surrounding community. In other words, church members saw themselves as active participants in the ministry of Jesus. Now, I understand that many people don't like talking about numbers in the church. I'm probably one of those people. Specifically about numerical growth. I think there's a mentality, and again, I'm not speaking about our church, just a general comment. I think there's a mentality among some churches today, usually smaller ones, that minimizes the importance of growth. And these smaller churches seem to take pride in being small. As if larger, growing churches are guilty of just pandering to the fickle crowds. These smaller churches sometimes adopt a mentality that that goes something like, but we're faithful. We're true. We don't need to do these other things. But the church in Acts, you just, no one can deny this. The church in Acts consistently grew and planted more churches, and those churches planted churches. And with each church plant, the gospel spread to great effect that we are here today as followers of Jesus at East Parkway Church is proof that church growth matters. <laughs> but somewhere in the course of church history, something very important was lost. Somewhere along the line, I'm not sure where or when, people merely began going to church instead of being the church. But the church is not a place as much as it's a movement. It's a movement focused on a mission. Now follow this with me. The mission was presented in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus told his followers that they would become his witnesses in the world. However, the church wasn't formed until Acts chapter 2. And so the mission came first. And when the church came along, uh, its members simply continued on mission as a church on the move. I've heard it said that God doesn't have a mission for his church as much as he has a church for his mission. In other words, the mission remained unchanged, and we as a church, and just like churches throughout history, we as a church must adapt in whatever way is necessary in order to participate in what God is doing in the lives of specific people in specific places during this specific time of redemptive history. The mission is the same. The message is the same. Ministry may take different forms, shapes, and sizes. 
And yet here's where it gets super personal and exciting and faith-building as we depend more and more on the Spirit of God. It's when the church and her Christ-centered, gospel-centric ministry spills out into the community each day. Notice the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. How did that happen? How did it happen? Is it because the, the, the church there in Jerusalem was just waiting for newcomers to flood through the doors? No, it, it happened day by day. It's the same expression, the same words used in verse 46 that describe the life of the church. You see, on any given week, they gathered formally in the temple and informally around town. And apparently, as they gathered around town, they were interacting with the people of the town. And as they interacted with the people of the town, some were coming to faith in Christ. This tells us that the people of the church were actively sharing their joy in Jesus with others around town as part of their daily routine. Their worship of God propelled their witness in the community, which resulted in even more worshipers of God. Those of you who know Bob Hughes probably remember him saying on more than one occasion. I, I, I love this. Bob must have told me this two dozen times or more. When he'd say there's nothing that breathes life into a church like new life in the church. That's what's going on here. Now, as, God, as verse 47 attests, it was God who was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So ultimately, this is the work of the Lord. But for reasons beyond me, He's chosen to accomplish these things through us. Imagine with me. Imagine what it would be like to be in ministry with Jesus. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, I wonder what it was like? What if I was one of the disciples? What if I was there? What if I saw what they saw? What if I heard what they heard? To be present with him as he... As he just ministered to people. Imagine what it would be like to be in ministry with Jesus as he was ministering to the people in your life. And he knew them, of course. He knows the family member you're praying for. He knows the neighbor next door and all the situation there. 
He knows the barber or hairstylist you see every month. He knows everything about him. And I believe, I believe Scripture says that he is involved in ministering to them. Imagine what it would be like to partner in that ministry. I don't think it's any coincidence that the very first verse in the book of Acts, the very first verse, it's there Luke tells Theophilus, Luke is the author, he's telling Theophilus, the person he wrote this letter for, that all that was written in the Gospel of Luke, the very first book, in the, or very first verse in the book of Acts, all that was written in the Gospel of Luke about Jesus was just the beginning. Christ's earthly ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection, Luke is saying that's just the beginning. And now that he's ascended to heaven, he continues to minister, not in the same way as he once did, but in even better ways and to even greater effect, because now the ministry of Jesus is carried out through those who follow Jesus as they walk in the presence and power of the Spirit of God. So maybe the encouragement for us this morning, the encouragement for you, maybe, maybe it's simply to become more aware of God in your midst. More aware of God in your circumstance. More aware of God in your daily routine. More aware of God's work around you. Maybe what you need most today is not for God to do more, although he always does more than we can even think or imagine. But maybe what's needed is for you to respond to what he's already doing. What he's already doing in your life and in the lives of those people he's placed in your life. This is what entering into ministry with Jesus entails. It's not, for us to, it's not for us to do things for Jesus. Our role is to live with Jesus as he accomplishes his saving purposes in and through us. As I said at the start, spiritual birth into the family of God reorients your entire life around Christ's cause. You can't have, I know I've had good conversations here. It's, we can't have this Jesus plus mentality. That yeah, I've got my Jesus, but I really want this. Spiritual birth into God's family reorients your entire life around Christ's cause. And thankfully... Church, I believe we're experiencing these things already. But certainly, I'm sure you'd agree, there is more room to experience them in even greater measure. Is there not? The more we respond to what God is doing among us, the more these things, these traits, will characterize our community as a church. 
So let's continue to embrace the mission of God. Walk in step with the Spirit and enter into ministry, into the ministry of Jesus for His name's sake. Amen. Amen. Father, we want these things. We want them not for selfish reasons. We want them because we believe that devotion to godly practice and and amazement at what you're doing and unity among believers and, and love and care and sacrifice for one another and commitment to the Christian community is important. We want these things because, because we believe you've deemed them important. And already you're working them in our lives and even here in our church. And Father, as, a, as we become a as we continue to grow in community, we want, to be, um, we want to have a transformative effect in our surrounding community. Not for our name's sake, but for yours. And so, dear Jesus, will you remind us daily, each one of us, as we're out and about doing our daily routine, will you remind us that you are on mission and you invite us to enter in with you. Do this, we pray for the salvation of many and the glory of your name. Amen.